Today's show is brought to you by HANA. For the past few years, I've been taking HANA One, an all-natural daily superfood with 30 wild-harvested herbs and adaptogens to improve focus, boost immunity, and increase stamina. HANA also sources the purest, highest-quality ashwagandha and turmeric. To get 20% off your first purchase, visit HANA.com, that's H-A-N-A-H.com, and enter the code CHAMPION20. Hello and welcome to the Champion Conversations podcast, where my co-host, sports psychologist Jim Aframo, and I take you inside the mental game of high performers. If you've ever wanted to learn how elite athletes, coaches, creators, and entrepreneurs use their mindset to overcome setbacks, serve as great leaders and teammates, and achieve their full potential, then you've come to the right place. I'm Phil White, and we're glad you're listening today. Today's guest is Matt Young. He and his partner at FSQ Sport have made it their mission to shake up youth sports. They partner with clubs, governing bodies, and associations to put the focus back on kids and establish development benchmarks and systems. This helps set high standards while giving children the space to learn the soft skills that will set them up to become responsible and confident adults. Matt also incorporates best practices from other countries that emphasize sustainable, long-term development of well-rounded young people. Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. You bet. So um, I love the mantra, as many as possible, as long as possible, in the best environment as possible. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means and the context around that and how it relates to youth sports? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's something that comes from the Icelandic coaching association. Um, that was their ethos. And, you know, what they do is a, a, a great job. As you probably know, their best coaches are, are, are at the front and center. So their best coaches start at the youngest ages um, because why wouldn't you have at all ages and ranges? So why wouldn't you have that? So um, it's just something that I heard that stuck with me for a long time. And, and I think that quite frankly, it should be the mission statement or purpose statement for every youth sport organization because it helps really solidify and put the the player first. Uh, and if we always, if every decision that we made, which I know we don't, which I'm sure we'll talk about throughout this podcast, if every decision we made was in the interest of the player first, we would not have as many problems as we do in the youth sports system right now. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of youth sports, uh, your recent TED Talk has been getting a lot of attention, and uh, it's time as timely and important as ever. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. I love your title, Give Sports Back to the Kids. Tell us about what was the whole experience of giving a TED Talk, first of all, and then tell us a little bit about your talk. Yeah, thank you. The the I did, I've done two TED Talks. So the first one was about physical literacy um, and it didn't go as well as the second one did, of course, because you're, you're, you don't know what you don't know. Uh, but lots of, uh, you're right. I, I really wanted to give the second TED talk because of the timing, because we're coming out of a pandemic. Um, because before the pandemic, we had seen the kind of insidious erosion of youth sports experiences, and it was time to give sport back to the kids. So someone needed to say it and someone needed to say it in a manner where, it was identifiable, relatable. Uh, someone need to have 
three clear action steps instead of trying to boil the ocean. I mean, there's lots of problems in the system. There's lots of things you could do, but if we started with three, if you chose one of the three uh, for yourself, your family, your community, um, you know, you could get some, some traction. And I think it really resonates with people because people understand and, and they can relate to it. This was our experience. Holy smokes. This is our experience. Um, you know, why is this happening? And I think we needed to just take a pause and ask ourselves if this is the, the trajectory that we really want for youth sports going forward. Mm-hmm. Well, the numbers real quick are, are, uh, you know, really grab your attention, you know, in terms of uh, you talk about um, what do we have here? 40 million North American kids. Uh, the attrition rate is 70% of those 40 million uh, North American kids who, um, you know, sign up to play sports um, each year. And so a lot of dropouts. Um, and then I like what you talk about too. It's not that they're just dropping out. Then they just, you know, because of the experience, they choose a really sedentary lifestyle. And so, you know, they go from one problem to another problem. Yeah, I mean, listen, that wouldn't be tolerated anywhere else. If 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 seventy percent of kids were quitting school at the age of thirteen, if if seventy percent of kids were doing X, Y, or Z and and quitting anything at the age of thirteen, there'd be commissions and Senate hearings and uh, etc. I'm not sure why that doesn't resonate for sport. I'm not sure why it's not grabbing people's attention. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it, it's leading kids to other directions which are totally counterproductive um, and not useful or good for sport or for them as human beings. Uh, Notwithstanding the fact that now you're not getting people to go back and volunteer to referee and officiate. You're not getting people that are going back to coach because they had such a great experience that they want to give back that experience uh, to somebody else. You're not having people volunteer to be administrators or volunteer to be on board of directors. So it's, it has unintended consequences that go beyond just the individual stopping that one sport, um, you know, and, and then what it does is it's precipitated this race to the bottom where, holy smokes, the, the whole pool is not big. So we better make sure we grab little Johnny or Jenny at six and keep them in our sport all year round uh, and, and just, you know, ruin their experience, turn it into a job, ruin their experience and wonder why they quit at 13. So it's this kind of insidious cycle that we just keep doing. We can't seem to break out of. Yeah, for sure. Um, on the plus side, I thought you did a really good job of stating like, look, this is your, your mission, you know, in you, you've sports and, and when it's done right, there are obviously on the flip side, some real benefits. What, what are some of those both emotionally, psychologically and physically, um, maybe to tie it back in with your previous talk on physical literacy, when youth sports is done well and done right? Oh, I mean, let, let's start with the, the number one thing as a human species, community building. Uh, I mean, ha- being part of a tribe, being part of a community, um, bringing people together. The youth sports is designed and its intention was to bring people together in a community. Um, and, and there's no more powerful vehicle uh, for doing that. You look at the age that we're in, in terms of technology and isolation. And, and again, COVID and pandemics where everyone's been forced to isolate um, that is really one of the of the positive uh, things. Next is all the transferable skills. I mean, like we said, youth sport is really a dress rehearsal for real life. It gives young men and women an opportunity, you know, winning, losing, feedback. 
uh, all of the great things that they're going to experience later on in life in a really controlled environment where if they make a mistake, it shouldn't be the end of the world. They're not going to worry about getting fired. Um, you know, you just kind of reset and, and, and do it again or try again. So it's really a great precursor for uh, resilience building. Uh, um, you know, you're going to having to deal with defeat, uh, making mistakes, losses in this kind of hyper politically correct. Uh, everyone is a winner society that we've got now. Uh, you, we, we don't have that. So that is one of the things that sports can bring. So Phil, yeah, there are tons of positive um, examples. The, the physical mental connection, you know, look at the, at the number of mental issues that we're having right now. Um, that's sport builds that resiliency sport builds that toughness sport builds that character, social, emotional connection. Um, the, the confidence, the culture piece, it, it can provide all of that when done correctly. Yeah, definitely. So then adults get involved and <laughs> unfortunately things don't often go well. Um, what, are, what are some things you, you've observed over the past few years about how things might be trending in the wrong direction and kind of, you know, short circuiting or maybe even removing some of those benefits you just mentioned? Yeah. So my, my good friend Heath uh, from A Better Way calls it a misappropriation of love. Uh, I, I think sometimes, I don't think parents deliberately set out to ruin their kids' experience. Uh, I, I'm I, I'm going to hope not. Now let's let's take the two to five percent crazy and just park those over there because we are not here to solve crazy, nor will we. There's always going to be that element of ridiculousness that you can't account for, and you can't even bother starting to try to placate. Um, I think I think it mostly comes from a fear of watching your kids struggle. And, you know, so, so much now is contrived and there's so many examples. I don't, I, I really hesitate going back, you know, when I grew up, but if you, if I came home because something was going wrong at school or at a sport club and the coach had given me some feedback and I got yelled at, there was a good chance I was getting yelled at in addition to what the coach or teacher did by my parents. Um, Now that's of course completely different because how could anyone ever um, suspect Johnny or Jenny of doing something wrong because Johnny and Jenny are just awesome. And, uh, you know, I will go and protect them and it's not your fault. It's someone else's fault that this happened. Um, I think that again, it's well-intentioned, but uh, misguided. And I'm not really sure why it happened. I'm not really sure when it happened. Um, but kind of as the generations follow the generations, It just seems like uh, we just don't want to see our young youngsters and our athletes um, fail or be behind in any possible way. And that's not the reality of life. Um, There's a lot of benefits that come from that. We've just discussed them. Um, There's a lot of benefits that come. Listen, it's not losing. It's you're either winning or you're learning. Um, And there's lots of good things that come from uh, a loss or um, not getting it right. You know, no, we've got this big push for perfection at every single age and stage of life. And, and, and that's really what's bringing all this pressure in, um, you know, so what we're seeing is, is, you know, coaches reticent to coach because who wants to get involved with that? Who wants to deal with, um, you know, getting yelled at after or having to, to, to 
um, answer to parents after every single game. If it's a loss, what happened? What are you doing? Why is this kid in the team? Change the lines, um, et cetera. Who wants to deal with a, you're not a good coach? I think, I think the misnomer in a lot of parents' minds is that their measure of development is the standings, the score, and the schedule. Um, and that couldn't be further from the truth. You could have a team of younger kids in a division of older kids. You could have a team of uh, a small population that's competing against a really large catchment or pool. So there's a whole bunch of factors uh, with winning and losing games that don't have anything to do with individual development. But because that's what we measure, it becomes what matters. And, and what we do measure is the standing, the score, and the schedule. We don't measure where an athlete starts at the beginning of his or her season and reevaluate midseason and end of season and give that information to them. We don't invite the parents into um, the process in a preseason mandatory meeting and discuss what our vision, purpose, values are and give them the opportunity to not be here if it doesn't align with what they want. So what we're seeing is the results of not doing that. We're, we're seeing the tail wagging the dog. Um, you know, the parents are, are, have stepped into sport. Uh, they've become their kids' agents. They've become their kids' uh, uh, sounding board. They've become their kids' social media. They've become their kids' everything. Um, some, in some cases, they've become their kids' coach or they've become their kids' board of directors so they can advance their own agendas. Uh, I'm not, again, I'm not really sure why I, I, I come from a, I'm a little bit older. So my parents didn't even show up to any of my sporting events because they were too busy working. Um, you know, but now parents will take days off and sick days and, and be in the gyms for high school games. Really? I, I just think it's a crowding of the, uh, of the child's experience. Like let them learn, let them have these great experiences on their own. I'm pretty sure that if you pull pulled, a hundred kids and ask them how many of them uh, show up to their parents' workplace and give them orders every day, the answer would be zero. So I'm not sure why it's the other way, but uh, I think it's a misappropriation of, of love. It's funny. You remind me of uh, when I worked for the San Francisco Giants baseball organization, uh, I asked a minor league player and we had a good relationship and he, he had a good relationship with his dad, but his dad went, you know, did you give a hundred percent today? You know, do you, you know, did you win? How many hits did you get? And so, you know, so I encouraged him to call his dad at work one day and say, dad, are you giving 100% today? Did you get a raise today? <laughs> and his dad got the message and they both had a good laugh about it. So, but you remind me of what you were just saying in terms of, uh, I love this quote from Ken Griffey Jr., you know, one of the greatest uh, baseball players of all time. He said, my dad would have bopped me on the head when I was a kid if I came home bragging about what I did on the field. He only wanted to know what the team did. And it's interesting now, it's, I don't care what the team did. What did you do? It's, it, it's a total reversal. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point, Jim. And I think that's, that's one of the downfalls of this me, me centric society that we've built. Um, everything is around me and elevating me and look what I'm doing. And, you know, I'm my own YouTuber. I'm my own vlogger. I'm my own business. I'm my own brand. Um, you know, it's, there's a lot of good things that come with that, but you're right. In the bigger scheme of things, really, it, it also detracts from the team. And back to the beginning of our conversation where we talked about community, um, you know, listen, I don't care 
who you are or how powerful you are. It, it's great to have friends. It's great to be a part of something. And we all need tribes because human, human beings are, are designed to work together. It, we're designed to, and, and life is designed to be an ecosystem. So you can tell me how much money you're making and how, much, how awesome you are all day long. I don't really care. It's, it, there's, a, there's a bigger picture to that. I also get a kick out of you, uh, sort of an oxymoron that you talk about that, you know, there's no real such thing as elites, you know, you sports, you know, it's like, and then you talk about, you know, the smoke and mirrors confer, uh, confirmation of elite status. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? I got a kick out of that. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like there's no, what's the, what is elite? Like elite <laughs> players are LeBron James. They're, they're elite players are, are, are athletes that have, you know, performed at the highest levels of sport against the highest level of competition. There's no elite uh, 10, 12, 13 year olds that, that, that doesn't exist. It's impossible. Um, yeah. There's some early adapters. There's some uh, people that are, are ahead of the curve developmentally, but they're not elite. Um, let, let, we got, we got to pump the brakes on the, on the elite um, status, uh, you know, and then, well, so what does that mean? Well, my kids, been selected for this and now they're in a the personal training and they've got this going on. And I, you know, it's all, it's all about everything except for the individual development. And I think that's because we don't know how to actually evaluate individual development. We don't actually know beyond technical, tactical, and physical. We don't know how to kind of track, record, and report the development of the soft skills, which culture, character, connection, confidence, if we agree, they're 80% of athlete development. Um, so we default to what we know. Um, but back to the elite status question, um, that's that's a great marketing tool to get you uh, to pay the extra money, to get your kid to come there. Again, it's really taking an advantage of, of that parent's um, desire to have their kids have the best experience and the best outcomes. Um, so, Hey, listen, I'll pander to you. Hey, Hey Jim, your, your kid looks really good there. If he comes over and trains with me, I think he's got a shot to get there. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Perfect. Like who's, who doesn't want to hear that? Who's not going to buy into that? Who's not going to invest in that opportunity. Um, and I think we just need to be really careful. It'd be great to have, uh, you know, people, and I've done it myself uh, as, as someone who sees athletic talent, I've been really honest with people. You know, yeah, your kid's a really good kid, but they need to work on X, Y, and Z or, you know, listen, do you know what the standard is for this sport at this age? Um, you know, there's lots of things that you can do. And by the way, why are you even focused on this right now? Um, you know, they should be having as much fun as possible. Have you asked them about that? Are they having fun and uh, are they hanging out with their friends or are they, you know, are they, are they getting a great experience and having a great experience? Are they missing when they're not playing? Are they taking time off? Those are kind of some of the things that are non-elite, but uh, uh, need to be said. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, you know, the, the soft skills slash the mental skills uh, development side, and maybe why we should be spending a, a bit more time on that, you know, cause we often preach if you, uh, <laughs> if you are somebody, you know, what percentage of your sport is mental? You know, I think Serena Williams said, well, 90% at least in tennis say, but yet we probably spend less than 1% of our time working on um, emotional skills, mental skills, this kind of thing. So what what's your view there of kind of how that balance is lopsided and why that might be detrimental? 
And if anyone get, takes one thing from this podcast, I hope it's what you just said. Um, and I'm going to reiterate it. So most athletes, if you connect with them, will say their sport is 80 or above percent mental. Um, but if you look at the amount of time we invest in uh, you know, training, where does that go? It goes to the 20% that's physical, which is at the technical tactical or the physical run, jump, technical tactical, dribble, um, juggle, drive, putt, pitch, whatever um, technical skills that there are. I think the reason is, and, and listen, the USOPC um, has released their quality coach framework in 2018 with an emphasis on, we really want to start rounding out the soft skills. The Canadian athlete development matrix where long-term athlete development was kind of uh, born um, also has their pillars for development, which are a lot to do with the mental state. And the problem is, is while everyone conceptually agrees, how do you measure someone's confidence? Um, it's easy to measure someone's 40 meter. It's easy to measure someone's, uh, you know, broad jump, but how do you measure someone's character or, or, um, leadership skills or, or resilience? Um, so, so that's what we've done a lot of work on. And what we've tried to do, Phil, is really simplify that. So, um, a lot of the organizations we've talked to say, well, we don't get into the 80% until we get to the elite level sport. And then, and then we load it on there and I'm like, okay, well, so, so help me understand this, that, that, that would be like teaching somebody how to run fast only when they showed up to the elite level uh, of that sport. That makes no sense at all. Um, there's ways that you can break those skills down. And, and, and we've done that through a lot of organizations that we're working with. So I'm going to use the PG of America as an example. We're helping develop them develop their, their player pathway. And what we've done for six years old, and let's take character, for example, what are we measuring and the soft skills for character of a six-year-old? What, what's important there? Kind of things like punctuality, do they show up on time? Are they having fun? And, uh, you know, are they, are, do they, do they have a good self-worth or self-esteem? So as a six-year-old, six year uh, how do we measure that? Well, what we say is initial, emerging, proficient. So we use a rubric. Initial, kind of, they're, they're just getting started. They don't really understand the whole trait and skill they should be starting at initial and walking through it. Um, emerging, it's kind of hit and miss. You know, they're, yep, they can, they can, they're doing it, but it's not intentional. Proficient, yep, they understand it and they're good to go. How we measure and record that is, is what we always do is have people self-evaluate. So we'll have the athlete self-evaluate. And usually at the younger age, ages, it's the athlete and the parent. So evaluate yourself. And they'll give a metric or a rubric, and then we have the coach evaluate them. Uh, and the coach will give a metric and a rubric with the understanding you should be moving across these things. So just because you got an initial on, on, on your first day out, um, don't panic. That's exactly where you should be. And then we need to be giving the appropriate uh, learning and, and content to how, to how to develop those skills and, and why that's important. And I just don't think we've done that well. So if that's a six-year-old in, in character, then when we get to the, the later stages of development, let's say that the play to win or train to compete or train to win, we should be looking at different characteristics like killer instinct, vulnerability, and perfectionism. So uh, initial emerging competent. So we define those. What are they? What do they look like? And now you'll see all the way through the ages and stages we're really leveling up at the appropriate age and stage as we 
go through, we're layering on skills so that we don't have to watch a professional athletes implode or retire when they get to the highest stages of performance like we've seen because they've never had any experience or conversation around these development traits all the way up at the appropriate learning. And I think that's one of the things that we have done well and had success at is we've, we've found a way to operationalize that in a way that clubs and associations and groups can grab and go, mm, that totally makes sense. So follow me here. Um, two situations. Scenario A, uh, you, uh, you register to play a sport, you get your coach and team that you're on on Tuesday, your first practice is Thursday, and your first game starts on Saturday. You have no idea who is on the team, uh, who the coach is. The coach doesn't know anything about you or your skills or where you come from. You show up, there's no baseline evaluation on anything related to the skills, no mutually agreed upon criteria for development, and you go into the season and you play the season. Uh, of course, the only metric that parents are going to be able to default to is the standing the score in the schedule because there has been nothing else presented. Scenario two, you, you go and show up to your first practice and you are evaluated on a set of mutually agreed upon criteria. So what are we measuring from social emotional connection? What are we measuring from culture? What are we measuring from character? What are we measuring from confidence at that age group? What are we measuring from a technical tactical standpoint? What are we measuring from a, from a physical standpoint? When we have done this with sport organizations, the feedback's been amazing because a lot of the time when we, when we get, let's pull this back to, to Jim's point about the parents, a lot of the time it's because they just don't know what they should actually be focusing on to support anyway, because we don't actually communicate that. Uh, you know, we treat sport people like intellectual silos. These are the athletes. These are the parents. Don't talk to me. Don't call me 24 hour rule. Don't talk to the coaches. we got the managers. Um, so what do we expect? Um, we don't, we're not, we're not giving anything. We're not, we're not establishing a baseline. Uh, once we establish a baseline like that example, number two, well, then parents can start focusing on the things that we've evaluated. Then we can say, this is what we're working on. It allows us to explain our practice sessions. It allows us to explain why we're doing what we're doing because we've had the conversation and, and they've had that. So regardless of how the season goes, I'm going to reevaluate midseason on all those criteria and individually you can see your individual progress. So if you're a top ranked uh, player or at the higher end of the, the athletic proficiency, maybe it's leadership that you can work on. Did you improve? Um, did you uh, lead others? Did you, what, what kind of things did you do? Yeah. Okay. I did. Perfect. I saw that. Great. I got a report card. If you're at the low end of the athletic spectrum, did you improve your technical tactical skills? Um, where are you focusing your time? And it allows you to see that. So irregardless of how the season goes, you can actually get feedback on how you developed. Uh, and, and when we look at shared values across parents, athletes, and coaches, they all, they all want development. They all say development. Kids don't say development. Kids say, I want to finish the season with better skills than I started. Parents say development, even though they don't know what the hell development is. Um, and coaches want that continuing education and mentorship, which is development. So those are shared values across athlete, players, parents, and coaches. We don't do a good job of delivering them. So going back to scenario A, if you show up, you, you register for a team, 
uh, you get your your team list Tuesday, first practice Thursday, game Sunday, and you're just you're you're just a transaction. Oh, it's picture day. You need this money. Oh, we need 250 bucks for dry land training. Oh, the tournament fee. Hey, everyone's gonna get hoodies. Like it's just a a racket of nonsensical, meaningless stuff. Uh, and you know, uh, I think parents are getting savvy to that. And and I think that really is what. And I know I'm I'm now I'm going off on a tangent, but that's really what uh, spurred the whole academy, uh, you know, versus community club because community clubs weren't doing a good job. They're just turning on the faucet. Yeah, we do this because uh, that's the way we've always done it. Don't try to tell us, hey, listen, if you think you could do better, join the board, blah, blah, blah. And then people just go, you know what? Uh, I'm going to the academy over there because they're talking about development, even though I will say a lot of academies still don't do baselining and still can't report any of that stuff. Um, they're just charging you know, $35,000 because they've got paid coaches or for whatever reason. So I think that's a big, big opportunity uh, moving forward. And, and, and Phil, to answer that question, that's what we need to do. We, we need to have an experience where it's a mutually agreed upon shared set of development criteria. And by that, I mean, you're engaging the parents and saying, from character, we're going to look at these three things. From confidence, we're going to look at these three things. From social emotional connection, these three things. What do you think? Uh, yeah, what parent doesn't want their kid to be a better leader, more focused? You know, uh, understand relationships with teammates. Like no one's going to say no to that. We just don't know how to measure it. Yeah, parents are going to be. <clears throat> the more they they hear about this, learn about this, the more they're going to want it the better their kids are going to do in the classroom as well and in other areas of life. So I love these life skills that you're talking about. And that's the real hope, I think, for parents is, you know, is, is for their kids to get these more of these types of experiences. So it, it's really neat that you've created this blueprint for how to achieve it. No question. And, and, and that should be the job of the national governing body or NSO. That, and I'm going to take that, Jim, you didn't set it up, but I'm going to talk about it. Nobody has acted like a responsible sport franchisor. So I come from a franchisor business and there's three tiers to a franchisor business. Number one, the franchisor, number two, the general manager, and number three, the franchisee. Um, the, each of those have two really clear responsibilities. The franchisor, make sure they can get as many eyeballs and PR and uh, you know business money, et cetera, coming to the, the, their business. That's number one. Number two, they have to create the operating system that makes it as easy as possible for the franchisees to experience success. Second level is a general manager. Any problems, challenges, um, innovation, um, issues, solve them for the franchisee. And, and number two, make sure the franchisees are operating in compliance with that operating system. And then the franchisees, the responsibilities to promote the service, goods, whatever, to the consumer. And then number two, make sure they're operating compliance with the franchise operating system. So I've said operating system three times, and we've traveled the world. Nobody, and I mean not FIFA, not the International Olympic Committee, nobody has created an operating system for the grassroots level of sport. It's always been, we're going to host events and just send us your best. Um, and if you are the most resourced FIFA, IOC, um, insert, you know, top level organization there, you're the most resourced, you got access to the greatest wealth of information, 
you need to be responsible and put together the operating system that volunteer Jim, Matt, or Phil can take and succeed in giving great experiences to families, communities, kids, and players. Yeah, it's really interesting. Do you think that the commercialization of, of youth sport that you touched on in your TED talk um, is a barrier to to that kind of model and slash operating system? It, it, it isn't a barrier. Well, what happens if you do not provide that operating system and it hasn't been provided is people will just go off and do it on their own. And then they'll say, oh, come on over here. I've got the gig over here. And in doing that, what they've had to do, though, is because if I want to go and open up my Matt's Academy for awesome athletes uh, in order to sustain my lifestyle, I got to do it all year round. So uh, I would say, Phil, the the inability for um, business, the, the sport organizations to view themselves as businesses and as franchisors, just using that example, the inability of them to do that has paved the way for some of this uh, um, you know, commercialization of sport. Um, that, yeah, you know, and listen, free market capitalism, you're not reining that back in. When we talk to clubs and organizations that whine and complain about academies and ah, blah, blah, this, you can't control that. You can't control that. You're not going to control the parent that wants to put their kid in the car and drive them five hours. You're not going to talk them out of it. You're not going to control it. What you can control is improving the experience at your community and club level. That's what you can control. And you can control it by offering for community pricing what is not being offered at $35,000, $180,000 at the elite club level. You, you can do that because trust me, if your athlete is good enough to make it, they're going to be seen. Someone's going to find them. In this day and age, it's easier than ever for that to happen. So don't worry about FOMO uh, because you didn't you know, buck up and do the pay-to-play system. If your athlete's good, your athlete's going to be good. And, and what's more important is if they have a great experience to stay in the game and love the game. That's what's more important. So... Yeah, do I think that has has been a factor? I think the inability or uh, uh, I don't know whether it's an unconscious incompetence or whether it's intentional or whether NGBs or NSOs can't be bothered or whether they don't have the capacity or the resources. But yeah, that's definitely led to a lot of the things and a lot of the problems that we've seen, no question. Yeah, Jim, um, as you're listening to this, how does it relate to some of your experiences working with youth sport athletes over the years? Well, I just start thinking about my own experience. I was, uh, what, scenario A? In, uh, <laughs> and then it was funny, in PE class, I remember, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was okay, we're going to play dodgeball, run around, and you were, you know, the, the, <laughs> the PE teacher would throw the ball at us. And <laughs> so uh, things have come a long way in, in, in good ways and not so good ways. Um, yeah, I, I love what you're talking about because inherent in everything that you're saying is, is having a growth mindset. You know, this is all about growth. This isn't about, you know, are, are you here right now or are you there right now? You know, uh, when I ask athletes, uh, you sport athletes, um, you know, what is it going to take, you know, if you really do want to play pro or, you know, at the college level, what sort of, you know, you know, what mindset do you need? What sort of like leadership skills do you need? What sort of strength and conditioning level do you need to be at? Okay. That's what you're working toward, you know? Um, but how much fun can you have in the meantime? How much better can you get from one week or one season to the next? 
Um, and then it becomes more about, you know, the process uh, than, than, you know, the, the short, you know, we're all about short-termism in this society. Uh, and so it becomes more about the long game. And then, um, you know, and, and it puts, you know, those, you know, temporary losses and, 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 and I love the learning, you know, it, it makes it more about the learning than the losses. Um, but um, yeah, I, I see this, uh, this, this shift occurring with, with, with people like you making a big difference in terms of like, hey, we got to wake up here. A lot of people um, are having, you know, could, could be having life-changing experiences for, you know, and, and then there's that ripple effect where, um, you know, we could really, some, some small changes here can make a real big difference. And I love how you really lay out the problem and then here's some simple solutions that we could get and do right now. And I, and I love that you also talk about culture too. Um, um, you know, that I, I think you talk about culture, Trump's, uh, uh, even process, uh, uh, tell us a little bit more about, uh, about culture. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jim, I love everything you said there, by the way, every organization we engage with, um, we make start with culture and, and trust me, they don't say we've got a cultural problem. Uh, they, they all come in and say, Oh, we want to start here. We just need more people. We need to attract, retain, we need to, uh, and we're like, okay, well, it doesn't matter if you keep attracting people, because if your attention rate is, you know, below 75 to 80%, that's a cultural issue. Uh, and the culture is really something, an exercise that people have to go through. What is your purpose beyond taking people's registration fee? Because if you can't articulate that and, and you can't live that, you're going to be like everybody else. So you have to have a, a, a bigger purpose. Um, you have to have that uh, very clearly articulated vision and mission. The vision can't be about you. It's got to be about a, a greater community or community citizens. The mission is what are you doing? Here's what we're doing. And then what are your values? Um, if you don't do that, then how do you know you're attracting the right coaches to coach for you? How do you know you're attracting the right families and, and parents to, to come and, and pay for your services? How do you know you're, you're attracting the right volunteers? If you don't set that, basically the culture is the baseline for your business operation. The same way we talked about baselining athletic performance, the culture is the baseline for everything that you do. Um, and and from the, only from there, once you've dialed your culture in, can you then get into stakeholder journey mapping, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, all those things. And it's funny, that's not funny at all. I don't mean it that, that way, but diversity, equity, and inclusion, new buzzword, totally agree with it. it it's forcing somebody to show you your, their DEI plan um, in order to get funding, which is how we do it in Canada, is not the solution to better sport experience. That is a checkbox. That is someone ticking the box and finding it that way. And, and if you are operating, and I'll say, I've said it before, I'll, I'll stand by it. If you're operating a club with a great culture, you don't even need to worry about diversity, equity, inclusion, because it's already baked in there. Um, so it's not an afterthought. It's not an add-on. It's not something you need to go hire someone who took a course on DEI. Uh, just don't be an ass. Um, that, that's basically culture 101. Like, understand your consumer. It, this is for everybody. Sport is for everybody. Invite people around the table. So we, we do a lot of, of talk around and a lot of support around how to develop a culture for your organization. And, uh, and then we go from there. I mean, hey, listen, look at 
look at uh, Sean McVay and the amount of time and energy that they put into their culture. If you haven't mm-hmm. uh, this year for, for the, the Rams um, NFL team, like the, look at what's coming out now about their culture. Look at the Patriots and Bill Belichick and how uh, that's culturally, culturally delivered. Pick your sport. Look at, you, you know, Alabama and, and Nick Saban. Look at, the Ohio State University and Ryan Day, look at the different examples of men's and women's sports. Um, South Carolina, the the great coach that they've had in women's basketball forever. Like it's all about culture. It all starts with culture and it starts with the the leadership uh, being examples of that culture every single day and finding ways to celebrate people who are contributing to that cultural success. Yep. I love the idea of uh, starting out with culture and values, and then we'll get into outcome goals and results. You know, uh, I think we have it backwards. So we do. Uh, yeah. So I love that you emphasize that. Yeah, we do. And, and one other thing that I'll say, Jim, I just want to reiterate, because it's a great point that you made. It is that process. That's the process. There you go. Uh, um, and, and you're right. We often just want to, who cares? Let's just get to the outcomes. Okay. Well, you, you don't, you're not going to get to the same outcomes. Uh, as as you will if you actually invest that time at the outset, you're, you will get further, faster, and farther uh, um, than if you just focus on the immediate, short-term, instant gratification, as you alluded to, outcomes. Yeah, talk a little bit about um, why that faulty <laughs> model exists, or like Jim said, people just want to fast forward to the, to the end result, and one of those results is obviously getting kids college scholarships and you see on a lot of in quotes elite academy websites like oh we've you know placed x number of athletes at d1 schools and then this number at d2 and 3 and naia and whatever else it might be and then you know x number have gone on to be pros but you mentioned some pretty uh pretty low numbers really in your in your talk you know the the two sets of two percent in terms of who makes it and yet as you went on to say we continue to to try to forge these development pathways for a hundred percent of people based on these two steps of two percent so could you dive into that a little bit yeah i mean that that's the that's the high performance model that we're pushing down on a hundred percent of the participants and it's not for everybody and arguably we're even hampering the high performance people. Look at lots of people played high performance sports uh, prior to 2000s whose parents never had any hand in anything that they did. They didn't call the coaches. They didn't, uh, you know, assemble all their videos. They didn't do anything. They, they did it because they wanted it. And that's, that's high performance athletes are going to be high performance athletes, probably in spite of the help that you're giving, which is harmful. Um, so the best thing we can do is actually just get out of their way and let them do what they do. And I tell that to parents all the time who do have kids that are those kids that are uh, aspire to be better and aspire to continue to play. What should I do? And I said, nothing, you're, you support whatever they want to do. If they want to, you know, take a summer off and do something else, you go, yeah, perfect. Go ahead. Uh, you know, just be a support. That's, that's your role. You're, you're there to support them. It's not your life. You already had your sport experience or maybe you didn't too bad. Like it's not about you. It's about your kid. Um, And then in turn, you know uh, what the ADM pathway and the LTAD pathways have been guilty of is they're just performance pathways. What about the social pathways? 
Like why, if, you know, 80, let's say 80, let's just, let's, let's give it, no, let's, let's be realistic. 95, if 95% of every, everyone who plays sports is doing so because they just want a good social experience, whether it's wellness, whether it's socialization, whether it's to improve, then why, why are we just letting them go? Hey, you go do that. We only care about this 5%. It doesn't make sense. Because you're going to have that lapse and we see it all the time. You're going to have someone that at 15 goes, you know what? I was inspired by watching the Olympics and now I want to get into X, Y, and Z. They're not burned out. They love the sport. They show up and they're, they're pumped. And I've listened to some really good stories of particularly female rowing coaches at universities who walk out on campus, look for tall girls and say, do you want to be part of a team? You want to try out for this? Have you ever tried this? And end up winning national champions championships because the, no, no one's burnt out. There's no expectation. They're coming. They're having a great time. Oh, wow. I've discovered this. Holy smokes. This is awesome. I, I didn't make it in basketball, but I've got this other opportunity or however it is. So what we risk by trying to identify and steer at such an early age are all those late bloomers, late adapters, uh, people who want to try stuff that are multi-sport athletes um, later on in life. Um, that's what we're missing. And, and not to mention pushing uh, people out. They, like they, they don't even care about me. The, the level of attention that, that, you know, the elite get versus the house is just ridiculous. The level of coaching is ridiculous everywhere except for every Scandinavian country. Um, but in North America, unless you're the elite, we don't really have time for you is what is basically what we've said. Uh, and, and OPS, you better um, identify as elite at six and seven because uh, otherwise you're going to be off the back. So I, I think that that is ridiculous. I mean, you look at people that take their degrees online at 50 years old, you, that, that none of what we do in sport would fly in any other industry. None of it. You can go quit a job today and go get a new job tomorrow on something that you're interested in and excel at it and be awesome at it. Um, we're taking that experience away from kids in sport and away from people in sport. It's like if you can't, if you don't identify what you want to do and you're not a champion by ten, you got no, you're never, you're not going to make it in sport. That that's not true, and uh, and we have to start coming to realizations with that. And I think it's through conversations like this and and through better leadership at the national governing body um, level of all sports. Yeah, definitely. Um, Jim, you told me a story one time. It's another baseball story, but uh, <laughs> that, you know, even for a lot of major league players, one of their parents, probably usually the dad, to be fair, who probably played play baseball to some degree, continues to be a big stressor. And the same for a lot of the Olympic athletes that you work with. Can you can you share a little bit of insight and, and, and tie that back to what was just said? Well, it's interesting. One of the um, professional baseball players that reached out to me years ago, uh, he was uh, a pitcher, a veteran pitcher. And uh, he said, man, I could really work on my mental game. Uh, and as we started talking, he said, what would be most helpful is – if you could help me with my dad. And I said, well, wh what do you mean? And he said, well, after every game, my, you know, my dad wants to talk about why did I throw this pitch or why did I throw that pitch? And, you know, this is a major league baseball player, uh, a veteran, uh, uh, the top, you know, the top of the, of his craft. And, 
his dad was still treating him like, you know, <laughs> like, like he was, uh, you know, a little kid. And, um, you know, I felt so bad for the guy, you know, he'd been dealing with this his whole life. And then when he would push back on dad a little bit, mom would get involved and say, well, dad's just trying to help. And then dad would give him the silent treatment. And it was just a big mess. And, um, you know, one of the solutions was, was pretty easy was, um, for him and his dad, uh, you know, and dad thought he was being a good dad, you know, this is how I could help you. Um, and this is how I show that I care about you. Uh, whereas the son is like, I don't want to talk about baseball all the time. You know, let's talk about what else is going on or let's go play golf. And so, uh, one of the solutions we came up with is that him and his dad would have a, uh, uh, one day a week where they would check in about baseball you know, how's it going? You know, how are you feeling? What's coming up? Uh, so they could have a good discussion. And then the, the, the rule outside of that was no talking about baseball. And uh, it ended up working out really well, but it just shows that, you know, that uh, this goes on and on and on and on uh, past the, the youth sport level. But yeah, research shows that, um, you know, for Olympians, uh, I think as Phil was alluding to, um, the, the two biggest stressors at the games, and I've just was able to work with several uh, Olympians at the Winter Olympics, um, uh, which was a lot of fun, but um, in, in Beijing. Uh, but um, uh, parents and coaches are the two biggest stressors at the Olympic Games for athletes, you know, and you think it'd be the opposite. Those would be the two biggest support systems. Yeah, wow, that's, that's telling. Yeah, so we really need to, you know, and again, like you've said, it's 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 good intentions gone bad, and you know, the, no parent or coach ever wants to feel like, you know, I, I I'm getting in the way of this athlete or my kid, or, uh, but you know, good intentions, you know, the the road to hell is sometimes paved with good intentions, and so that's why I like how you talk about on, you know, at, at a micro level, but also at a macro level, we need to make some big changes in terms of how things are perceived at the macro level to get everyone on the same page. And a lot of times I, I like the, the visual of a rowboat, you know, is, is everyone rowing at the same speed in the same direction? And, you know, if you have coaches rowing in this direction and, you know, and, and parents rowing in that direction, the athlete rowing in a different direction or at different speeds, uh, we're going to run into some problems. So I, I love how you talk about big picture stuff as well as, you know, kind of at the micro level. Yeah. And, sometimes it seems like those patterns are set all too early. And I think that's probably at the heart of what we're talking to about today, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. One, one of the uh, stories Phil just reminded me of is, uh, you know, and it's sad, but it's, it's, it's poignant, uh, is um, uh, actually had a minor league baseball player, really solid player, uh, say to me, uh, you know, I was asking him what he loved about the game. And he goes, I, I don't love the game right now. And he was burned out, stressed out, thinking about stats and numbers and, um, you know, all the stuff that, you know, that isn't helpful. Um, and, um, you know, especially during the season. And I said to him, uh, what was it like when you were a kid? And he said, man, when I first started playing baseball, I'd pray every night that it wouldn't rain the next day so I could play. And I said, well, how about now? And he said, I pray every night that it does rain tomorrow so I don't have to play. And, you know, think about how sad that is, that this is a guy that, you know, lost his love of the game uh, because of all the stuff that we're talking about, all the stress, pressure, expectations, you know, not learning mental, you know, you know, mental resiliency and, and leadership and teamwork. He, he, you know, I asked him, you know, what, what, what are some things about, and, and it, about leadership and teamwork? And he's like, no one ever talks about that stuff. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
you know, and, and so it's not that he wasn't interested. It just wasn't presented to him. Uh, and especially in the format that you're talking about. Um, but as we got back to, to his love of the game, then, then the results started taking care of themselves. Love it. Great example. Yeah, what do you see in terms of th- other things that might squeeze out that that love of the game, whether on you know a family by family basis or you know coach by coach basis or just systemically? Yeah, I, I think that that Jim's brought up a good point. That's that's a big one. I mean, if you're at the highest performing level and, and your love of the game is being in P- or at the Olympics or at a professional sport, and you're still having to deal with coaches and parents, that that's a big red flag. I mean, you're right, Jim, that they, that, that they should be your biggest support. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's number one. I think um, other things, Phil, are going to be, you know, free market capitalism. You're not reeling it back in. Uh, Nil has left the building, name, image, likeness. And what that's done now is that's pushed it down an entire level. So now you're going to be high schooling to get to college, to get to the nil. So now you're going to be specializing earlier. Um, you know, it's the stakes are going to be even higher because you got to get that scholarship because now you're going to be able to eventually, unless they figure out a way to manage it, you're going to be able to make, you know, anywhere from 50,000 to 3 million as a collegiate athlete. Um, you know, that's going to have some very, very significant intended and unintended consequences, um, both good, uh, you know, that the athletes are, are now participating in what has become a juggernaut for revenue share, but unintended, you know, now that just pushes everything down earlier into high school and prep and we got to do this because this is what we're going to get. And you can, you know, win there. You don't have to go to the professional levels anymore to be a millionaire. You can just go to the collegiate levels and be a millionaire. So um, the capitalism is going to be something that is going to be interesting to watch. Um, The rich are going to get richer in terms of the D1 schools that uh, that really can benefit from that. Uh, it's going to, at some point, we're going to have to have a conversation of, is there a super elite division and then, uh, you know, regular division? Um, that, that's going to have interesting ramifications, but, you know, it's going to be, that's the free market capitalism is something you can't, you're not reining in. You're not going to tell people that are making a boatload of money off selling the dream that they can't do that anymore. Um, it's just, they're going to say, yeah, okay, pal. Um, so I think what you have to do is, is like Buckminster Fuller, you don't change the reality of something by fighting the existing reality. You change by creating a new reality that makes the existing reality obsolete. And I think that that's really an opportunity to get back to community sports get back to what sports was designed to do, bring people together, get back to the essence of sport, which is, uh, you know, fun, friends, b- development, um, and really be a lot more intentional with how that's deployed. Um, I think that's the solution. But Phil, to get back to your question, I think that outside of the, the parental and odd crazy coach influence, I think that the free market capitalism is the biggest you know, saboteur of, of quality sport experiences in North America. It's not, uh, you know, the Scandinavian countries, like if you look at Sweden, they're like, well, why the hell would someone leave our community to go play hockey somewhere else? Because that would weaken our community. Why would we do that? Why wouldn't we just have better competition in our community? 
and raise the level of competition inside our community. Um, you know, the Icelandic um, coaches, like why, why would we have our best coaches only show up at the high levels when we want to get more people to the high level. So why wouldn't they be at the lowest level? So the coach after the year that they came forth, I think in world cup returned home and coached a bunch of eight years, eight year olds the next day. So like, it's just a totally different mindset and culture and the North American culture is, <laughs> it's not as many as possible, as long as possible, it's as much money as possible, as fast as possible and uh, in as many pockets as possible. So um, that's something that's going to have to be managed because it's a big, big, um, re realistic thing that's there. Yeah. It's almost, uh, you know, it, it, this isn't the best word for it, but, uh, but, uh, we want long-term greed instead of short-term greed. And by long-term greed, I mean, you know, everyone wins and, and you want to play, you know, you want to be physically active forever and you learn all these life skills and, and, um, you know, if you could play at the highest levels, then, then go for that as well. And, uh, but we're, it, the short-term greed is, you know, let's, let's try to get as much out of this as we can. And, and, and that what I, you know, I think that's a big part of what ruins it for, for everyone. And, um, I, I like how you talk about, uh, investing, uh, in you and your team, um, versus, you know, I think we, 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 we spend our time, uh, in youth sports. We don't necessarily invest our time in youth sports wisely. So, um, tell us about FSQ Sport. Um, amazing website. I, I like the information that you have on your website. Um, some of it's hard to read in terms of, um, you know, you talk about, you know, uh, one in 12, you know, it's hard, but important to read, you know, one in 12 uh, elite athletes were sexually assaulted by a sport official or para-athlete. One in three elite athletes have received a mental health disorder diagnosis. Um, 3.8% of elite athletes were sexually abused as a minor by a sport official or para-athlete. And then nearly one in five elite athletes received physical abuse from a sport official or para-athlete. You know, these are serious concerns. And, you know, as you say, rightly, sport is in crisis. Um, and so we can't keep our head in the sand anymore. Yeah, for sure. So FSQ sport, um, forget status quo. I'll let you Mm -hmm. what the real word of that was. Uh, and basically we came together just to, to, to lend support to the business of sport. So what we've been able to do, like we said earlier, is, is bring the business mindset um, to sport. And then we, you know, do you need support with your player parent development model? Do you need support with your coach development model? Or do you need support with your club development model? Wherever you need support, We've got expertise and we've got access to expertise. What we didn't want to do, Jim, was be that group that says we've got all the answers and we can be everything to everybody. You can't. I hate when people do that. It's ridiculous. So we aligned ourselves with like-minded organizations like the ITP, which deals with safe sport in Canada, like Amped to Play, which deals with diversity, equity, and inclusion, like some of the Steve, Dr. Stephen Norris, one of the architects of long-term athlete development. We align ourselves with those like-minded groups and, and just say, Hey, listen, if we don't have the answer that you're looking for, so Phil and Jim go, Hey, Matt, I need X, Y, and Z. And it's outside of our expertise. We connect you with the people who, whose expertise it is, uh, you know, and we just want to become like the franchisor for sport. So if nobody else is going to do it, I mean, we spent five years encouraging other organizations to be the franchisor of their own sport not interested 
didn't really get it, don't understand it, don't have the capacity, no problem, we'll do it. Um, so we we help sport medium, small, medium, large, really in any capacity that they want or need in terms of leveling up their business. What are some common asks you get when somebody says, all right, out of these three main areas you just mentioned, it's definitely, say, coach development that, that we, we could use some help with. What are, what are some things you see there and some ways that you start to meet those needs? Yeah, great question. We just had this uh, coach development session uh, for new coaches. Like, what, what are, how are we encouraging new coaches to come in and, and create, um, understand what players and parents want and need in 2022 wasn't what they wanted and needed in 1999, 1995, or 1990. It's different. So how can we, uh, how can we understand and expect and support that coach to create the environment? And it has, it, ironically for a lot of them, it has nothing to do with the technical, tactical, or physical skills. They think we're going to come in and and we're going to be experts on football or soccer or basketball. No, no, no. That that information exists at nausea. If you can't figure out a way or a, uh, you can't access a video to how to improve your dribble or whatever, then you're just not looking hard enough or you don't really care. This has to do with all the soft skills. We're really, we really start off with the 80%, just like, in terms of club development, we'll start off with the culture. In terms of coach development, we'll start off with the with the soft skills. We'll start off with the you know understanding yourself as a coach, understanding that there's not one size fits all, understanding what the realities of, of participation are right now. What what are the eight factors that are hindering sport participation? Why is the 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 participation funnel shrinking? So that's what we talk about, and then contextualize it in terms of okay. So then here's some things that you can do regardless of any sport you're coaching to set yourself up for success. Uh, 10 10, uh, pre-session checklist, 10 points. Uh, You know, do you have a a plan for your session? Is it games-based? Is it developmentally appropriate? Are all the safety thing, you know, considerations been been taken in? Just things that new coaches might not get and for whatever reason haven't got from their national governing body or, or national sport organization. Um, You know, we had to set up your practice, how to break it. So we, we break it down, like, you know, engage when people come in, how you doing? Why are you asking that question? Because if Johnny or Jenny says, Oh yeah, I had a rough day last night. Well then that's not the time to get them to come down hard on them or call them out in front of everybody. Like, so we go through every single facet of, uh, of session planning of, of how to infuse the five C's into your practice. So we will go aggregate 30 different ideas from different coaches from different sports, bring them into one uh, document and then give that to new coach. So he or she can um, ask questions or implement some of those strategies in their coaching. So it has a lot to do with the structure, the setup, the, the mental preparation, the planning and performance um, at the initial levels of coaching. And then if you want to get higher, then we'll refer you to, you know, coach experts like Dr. Wade Gilbert or, or, or somebody in the system that's recognizable that uh, by sport or, or general, um, you know, how they can be better coaches. Yeah. Dr. Wade Gilbert is a pretty special guy, isn't he? Uh, I love uh, his uh, take on leadership. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's a lot of fun. Um yeah, I, I think that what you're also, you know, it, 
think about burnout for coaches too. And, and you're really helping to lighten the load for these coaches, um, uh, really empower them with uh, a lot of clarity in terms of, you know, how, how to be the best coach they can be. And I think that really frees them up to be more present with their athletes and, and, and be more personable with their athletes, get to know them uh, because they have this structure in place that you're helping, helping them with. So I, I really like that a lot. Yeah, no question. I mean, we're not telling them how to coach. We're basically, I use the house analogy in, in every single house that's been built in the world. The foundation is concrete and the framework is wood. So we're giving you the foundation, and the framework. Exactly. It's up to you as a coach to bring your furniture, fixtures and finishings. Um, so we're not trying to tell you how to do everything. We're just giving you some solid foundational tools and the framework to, you know, how to do the practice. But uh, the rest is you. You got to bring you. Yeah, the, the famous architect, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, would actually show up at, have you ever heard the story? He would show up at, you know, he designed all these buildings, but also all these houses um, throughout the uh, North America. And he would occasionally show up at someone's house that he designed and, you know, built and then start arranging, rearranging the furniture in their house. And, you know, and so talk about micromanaging, but, uh, you know, he was a genius in his own way. But um, yeah, I think that's great. And so then the coaches could have some, flexibility in terms of being artistic with their own approach or, you know, making sure that it fits their own personality within that structure. So it's a, it's a true win-win. Of course. Something that you said earlier was, um, I made a note of and put a couple of stars, but I just <laughs> it would come back to it was that you, you said, we've got to get, you know, clubs and coaches to the, to the point where they realize they're comfortable with saying, this is what we believe here. These are the values that we have. You know, these are the things that are important in our culture. These are you know, going to be our baselines. And that might not be for you. Because going back to the business model you said earlier, that might make a lot of coaches, teams, clubs, organizations nervous initially, I've got to imagine. But eventually, it's going to actually set them up for better success. So can you talk a little bit about that? that stage of the process and how you help uh, clubs and, and organizations in that way. Yeah, I got a story that's going to make you laugh. So I, I always get at, we always get asked, Hey, can you come do a parent education uh, for, for our club? And I'm, I mean, first of all, no parent wants to be educated by Matt ever. Uh, so it's parent engagement. How can we engage you to be a partner in your, in your player's development? Um, so I asked him a question. I go, okay, perfect. When is it? How, how many days have you offered? Well, it's this Thursday. I go, okay, awesome. One day. I go, is it uh, voluntary or mandatory? It's voluntary. I go, okay. And who else is going to be there? Nobody, just the parents. I go, okay, five grand. And they're like, five grand for an hour? I'm like, five grand. Because you're wasting your time and my time by, by doing that. And everybody does it, right? And they said, I'm, I'm not following you. I go, if you give parents two options to attend because everyone's busy, so they've got two options. You make it mandatory. Your kid cannot register unless you come to the meeting. And then you have the athletes, the parents, the coaches, the officials, and the administrators all there. I'll do it for 50 bucks. Because then you're actually gonna, we're actually going to make some headway. And we, have, we come with handouts for every one of those stakeholders. So we have a handout for the athletes, five things you should, you should expect from your sports season, five things you need to be willing to contribute to having a quality sports season. What is uh, ADM? Um, what is athlete development? And we give, we, we, you know, we break it down into the, the spheres, if you will, uh, and show people. So inevitably what happens is, and, and it works brilliantly every time, 
athletes just sitting there, parents are there, everyone's there. And, and I walk in, this is 25 minutes, by the way. And I go, kids, tell me why you're here. And we'll go around the horn. And every one of them will go fun, friends, fitness, fun, 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 fun. Perfect. And I go, parents, what are you doing to support what the, you just heard? And parents would be like, ah, uh, uh. I go, great opportunity. That's why we're here. You got to, we're going to introduce you to a 12 word sport vocabulary Two when they get out of the car and we make everyone repeat it, have fun. Uh, seven, when they get back into the car, I just love to watch you play. And three on weekends when the kids are whining, complaining that they're bored, just go play. So 12 word sport vocabulary for the whole season. Um, you know, and then we'll go, Johnny, what happens when you're on your way home and your dad says, why didn't you do that? And we did, we've done this. And every time we do this, the kids first answer is that's exactly what my parents do. And you can see some parent dying a thousand deaths in the back. Uh, and we say, great. That's why you're here. Who is the only person here you take instruction from? Every single kid points to the coach. Why? And the kids give the answer because that's their job, because that's what they know. They played, they did this, they did that. Perfect. So are we all clear on that parents, kids? Like are we, is everyone clear on what the kids want? Everyone that this is what's going on. Yep. Perfect. Parents. What is it that you're looking for? And we'll, you know, they'll go around the, and I'll keep going until one of the parents says development. And I go, great development. What does that mean? And, and the parents will go, well, they get better. And I go, get better at what? Well, you know, they just get better at the sport. I go, well, get, like what? Like what's your benchmark for getting better? And, and I'm, I said, I'm not trying to bust your chops. I'm actually just trying to learn and see what all of you quantify uh, as development or qualify as development. And so it bridges a discussion because it, it, parents will eventually go, well, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. Like they improve their skills. And I go, what about the soft skills? And that's how we introduce the concepts that we talked about. Um, what about these skills? Yeah. Are they important? Yeah. Oh my God. That's awesome. Yeah. I never thought about that. Um, so we have that conversation and we talk about what that looks like. So in order for us to actually move beyond the standing, the score and the schedule is our benchmark for development. We've got to baseline these. We've got to evaluate these. We're going to need your help doing it. And we're going to need, you know, various stations set up. We're going to assess the physical skills, speed, strength, endurance, flexibility, power. We're going to assess all the technical, tactical skills that the coach thinks are appropriate for that team and sport. And we're going to assess the soft skills. And you're going to do that as a parent an athlete self-assessment and the coach is going to do that as well. Everyone okay with that? Oh my God, this is amazing. Uh, coach, what is it that you want? And so they'll say parental support, blah, blah, blah. What does that look like? What's the culture? Um, coach will stand up, introduce the, the, his or her culture for the year, their purpose, their vision, their mission. Um, what happens when somebody, somebody's expectation is not matching your culture? Let's talk about that now instead of mid-season because it's mandatory. We're all here. So we've talked about it. Now what we're doing is, you know, to uh, Jim, to your point, we've just saved the coaches hours of putting out fires and dealing with nonsense every single game practice and week, because it's already been done at the beginning of the season in 35 minutes. So we do this all the time, Phil, and it is so effective. Like I've never understood why people don't do it because it's communication a lot of times, the if you asked any stakeholder what the biggest gap is in an in a organization or community, they will say communication. We don't know what's going on. No one's sharing any information with us. So here it, all, here it is. You have it all. And, uh, and is there any questions? Um, you know, and usually kids will ask some questions and 
um, you know, parents, how to support your athletes development. We talk about, you know, during the meeting, we talk about the eight reasons for the decline of participation. We contextualize it for that club, for that community. Um, we talk about all that we have a, a really fruitful conversation. That's not long, but it's 35 minutes. And when we started doing it, I was nervous about what the response would be because I saw parents in the back just going, Holy smokes. And then when the kids left, they would come up to me, there'd be a line and they would say, that is the best parent engagement preseason meeting we have ever had. Like, I didn't know half of this or next, next parent. I am that person you talk about. I did not know I was being, you know, to, to Jim's early example, I didn't know I was being that parent. Um, you know, so again, it's an opportunity to start fresh, set the table, um, this is what you can expect from the year. This is who we are and what we're all about. And then you've decreased the nonsense significantly because you can always go, Hey, we talked about this at the beginning of the year. So we don't need to talk about it again. You already know where we stand on this. This is our, our benchmark of success is development. And, and this is what you should be paying attention to. And if we do that and focus on the process, the outcome will take care of itself eventually. Because yeah, you, you can never lose. And there's no loss because you can never, ever lose. You could always get better. You could always make progress. You could always learn something. And you'll always uh, show progress. Exactly. Yeah, and that's what's exciting. And then getting everyone on the same page. I, I, I love how you emphasize engagement with parents. And then uh, just the communication is is key to, to any change. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I joke with parents. It's interesting you talk about vocabulary. I, I, I joke uh, about with parents not to use any verbal, uh, not to say anything, you know, not be more nonverbal before games and during games. So thumbs up, smile, high five. Uh, you don't need to say anything uh, verbally. Um, and then um, uh, I, I just think it's it's really neat too. Uh, uh, Phil and I have seen this with some different types of workshops where, where parents are, they're hungry. They want to know how to be better sports parents. And so um, you know, as you're saying, no one intentionally wants to be a bad sports parent. So you're getting everyone on the same page. And then I like what you're talking about too, is you're, you're nipping things in the bud before they can blossom into something bigger during the season. And then, and then that becomes the biggest distraction for parents, coaches, and, and players. So, um, starting from that place, um, and then avoiding slippage along the way, you know, like, Hey, let's get back to our, you know, what we're here, you know, the main thing we're here for is development. Uh, so I, I love that. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Are there other, um, any other things that you either weren't sure would work and have proved successful, or as you just mentioned, you know, this simple 25 to 35 minute talk that, seems obvious to to you and your colleagues in a lot of ways but um you know it, as we hear about common sense sometimes it's not that common are, are there any other common sense things that that clubs or um organizations benefit from your approach yeah uh, thanks for asking we have had a lot because we we respond to clubs it's not us too like we've got some of our own experience but we had a club say many clubs go hey listen we don't have a marketing and communications person how can you help us and I was like, oh, I don't know, like, what, do you, what is it you're looking for? And then I thought, wait a second, everyone on the planet knows how the sports season goes. So why don't we just build a 20-week communications plan uh, and it'll have one central theme and then every single stakeholder will be on it and we'll communicate to them in language that's 
appropriate for them. So the athletes will have athlete language, coaches, coaches language, officials, officials language, administrator, administrator language, and, and we'll do it that way. So for example, we said, okay, you know, eight weeks before the season starts, we're going to um, engage people and um, remind them what it takes to have a successful season. So what do you need to do to have a successful So athletes, you need to be physically prepared. What does that mean? Technically, tactically prepared. What does that mean? Uh, you know, confidence, character, connection. What, what do those things mean? Parents, like, are you planning for the season? Like, is there going to be some financial planning that you need to do? What about balancing schedules, et cetera? Coaches, you know, base your season on, on who you want to be versus what you want to achieve because you can always win. So we have, and it's one communication that gets sent out to every stakeholder in the organization. So if I'm an administrator, I can see what officials are valuing. I can see what the parents are being said. So there's, there's this whole transparency. So uh, you follow me here. So that's, that's, that communication goes out uh, two months before the season starts, just as a reminder, and you're engaging your your, your membership. Uh, a month beforehand, we're reminding every stakeholder of what evidence base says they value most. So what do athletes value most? What do officials value? Parents value? Coaches value? We send it out. And then uh, we what have we got in every year? We've got what? Tryouts. So managing tryouts. Athletes, here's what you need to do. Uh, week two, uh, managing placement discussions. Parents, here's what you do. Coaches, here's what you do. Week three, setting te- season goals. Week four, you know, week 10 tournaments. Uh, parents, don't go get trashed with the coach and drink. Like that, that's nothing good is going to come of that. Coaches, understand what tournaments are about for you 15 people. They're bonding experiences. It's the first time where they're kind of away from their parents in a group setting. Like uh, what are your team building exercises? Like it's not about winning the tournament. Only one team wins the tournament. So what are you trying to get out of it? Officials, these are tournaments. Like they're not the FIFA qualifier or the NHL combine or like you're not calling every single play and the scrutiny. It's not about you controlling the game, you know? So we have those kind of conversations all the way through the season. And we just created a 20 week communications plan. So we're very good at adapting and responding to um, the needs of commu- uh, clubs. Um, this, I think this goes back to, to Jim's early question. Um, whatever they need and whatever gaps that they have from an operational standpoint, we'll look at and we'll get together with our group and go, how can we just make that easier? So how can we make their lives easier as administration, as coaches, as parents, as anybody? Because the more we can do that and demystify all that is in complex with sport, the, the more people you're going to get on board and go, yeah, no, I, I think I read this and I'm just going to follow this because it seems to be whatever, what we're doing. It seems to be how, how you behave. You go to Starbucks, you get in line, you give them your order. You, you, they, they go over there and the, your name's in the cup. Like it's a system and, and sports should too be a system. So anything we can do to help systemize that stuff, Phil is, is really what we're in. And, and to answer your question, yeah, people are just like, oh my God, like this just saved us so much time and energy. And if you look at the pre- mandatory preseason meeting, 20 week communication plan, that's already there for you. You can add, edit, do whatever you want to it. Um, like we said, it's, we're giving you the foundation and framework. You nuance it the way you want. It, as, it, how to be a new coach. If you keep going through the tools, 
we're just giving you tools to make that sport experience a great sport experience. One thing that I've noticed that uh, when coaches or parents are doing all the right things with their kids, they're not necessarily paying attention to what their kids are hearing from them when they're watching the pros. So for example, you know, Oh, look at that guy. He made a mistake. What a bum, you know, or, you know, but when their kids are playing, Oh, don't worry about the mistake. Just focus on the next play. Well, there's a mismatch there. And so I think it's a good reminder for all of us is uh, what we say about a, a, a sports when we're with our kids, even if it's not directly about them. So as a coach or a player, when you reference or you're watching a pro game, you know, or the Olympics or whatever, how are you talking about those athletes? You know, or you say, oh, that guy just choked or that guy's terrible or that. And so it's really interesting. Uh, one youth uh, sport athlete that I worked with, he had so much performance anxiety. Uh, and so I thought, okay, you know, maybe there's something going on with the parents or the coaches. And as we talked, it's like, man, they're saying all the things that, you know, they're, they're preaching to the choir in terms of what they're saying. But then uh, I was actually over uh, watching and talking about uh, a pro game with the dad. And he said, oh, those guys stink and, you know, and bum. And, it's, and I saw his son looking up and I'm listening. So he goes, you know, and you could, you know, connect the dots that the son was thinking, okay, so when I don't play well, that's what he thinks about me. And so that's, uh, so it's, you know, we really need to stay on our toes here with, you know, kind of everything we say and do. And, and I love how you talk about, you know, as a leader, lead by example. So, um, you know, be really careful about what you say about others, even if it's not about your kid. Yeah. And listen, that's a really good point, particularly about your coach and, and, exactly. and the coach's decision and other parents and other players. Oh, oh, Phil played like crap today. Like what, what, exactly. whose opinion? Like, why are you even saying that? Uh, I totally agree. It drives me nuts. Yeah. Good point, Jim. Um, are there any other ways that, just any coaches listening can, as you say, rightfully in your TED talk a couple of times, give sport back to the kids. Yeah, I think coaches need to, uh, um, it's tough because so much pressure is put on coaches to, to do, like, I mean, if, if you're, we did a little list when you coaches from 1970 to 1995, they had to do five things. Now coaches are tasked with, you know, making sure the social emotional is all fine, making sure people are like making sure my kids fit, making sure my kids eating right. Like there's so much more put on coaches. Um, I, I think that when it comes to the matches and games, coaches need to understand that they're, it's not about the coaches. It's not about them. And it's not about their resume. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to do because when everyone else is measuring you by the standings, the score and the schedule, and you are all about the development, um, it's really hard because we're in a society that, listen, we, we vaunt wins. Wins wins for us are what it is. So if you're going to coach, you got to understand you need thick skin. You're going to need to understand how to manage. And all the tools and things we talked about today are ways that you can manage better manage the expectation, the parents and set the expectation and, and get people on board and get rid of the people that don't like your philosophy right out of the gates so that you don't have to uh, endure them all season. But I think it's all about, you know, really leveling up your own acumen as a coach to what do the kids want? What do the kids need? What's their priority? Am I meeting their priority? Am I asking them, are you having fun? Am I asking the kids, am I checking out with the five to 75 in football uh, people that I'm going to spend the most amount of time with, I'm asking them for their feedback, 
not their parents for their feedback. I'm asking them for their feedback. Am I including them in the process? I mean, that's all the great coaches, the Steve Kerr, the the Popovich, all, all those Pat Summit. That that's that's all of their kind of mantra. It's it's all player led, and then everyone goes, "Oh man, how do they do it?" Now they've got great talent, yes, but um, it's also they've got to they've really got to make sure that they're prioritizing the, the players first. And you already gave a great uh, tip for parents with the 12 word vocabulary and a couple of others earlier on. Is there any, again, any sports parents listening of, of uh, which we know there are um, anything else they can do to, as you said, um, number one, be a supporter of their kid, but what else might they be able to do? That's just a quick win. A uh, quick win is to love, just understand that you want a lot. You The best thing I think every parent wants is a great relationship with their kid. Who does not want that? Don't ruin the relationship with your kid over sport. That is that, that, that like, that is the only thing I would say. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it for, through negative self-talk about his or her teammates. Don't ruin it through negative talk about his or her coach or other things uh, to, to your, both of your points, understand the example that you are, it's a responsibility. Um, just like you are uh, encouraging, probably encouraging your kid to grow up, level up, do that. You also need to do that and lead by example and do all the things that you're advocating that your kid does, uh, you know, being that example. So, uh, but the most important thing is, you know, y- your job as your parents is to love your kid and to have a great relationship with them so that you can have a great relationship with their grandkids and not have animosity and not have your kids going, I can't wait to get out of this house and never listen to you or talk to you ever again because you just micromanage every single minute of my life and, and my sport and I hated it. Like that, what a disappointment. Like what a disappointment. Sport is not forever. Life and relationships are forever. Even at the highest level of sport, it's not forever. Your family, your relationships, that is forever. Don't tarnish it over something that could be fleeting. And know the stats, Phil. Um, let's say generously, 6% of, of kids make it from high school to uh, D1, 2, or 3 collegiate experience. Six, that's, that's relatively low. That plays sports, that's relatively low. Uh, of those, 2% will make it to the, to the next level uh, of the professional level. Listen, like if, if you're looking for a big win, um, go buy a lottery ticket. Like if that's what you're looking for is a payout, but your kid, your kid's relationship with you is forever. Can't stress that. And don't ruin it advertently. Don't ruin it inadvertently. Really powerful stuff. Well, this has been a, a true pleasure. Could you tell everyone where they can learn more about you, learn more about your company and just follow along with your journey? Yeah, thanks for that. FSQsport.com, FSQsport, all one word, dot com. Uh, and I'm Matt at FSQ Sport. So uh, Matt, M-A-T-T-T, uh, Young, Y-O-U-N-G, 101 on Twitter. Uh, always got some big controversial things rolling out and dripping out of Twitter. Um, so yeah, just happy to connect and, and support people where they need support. Yep. Thanks a million, Matt. Uh, we won and learned today with you. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you both. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends about the Champion Conversations podcast and rate, review, and subscribe to the show 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your platform of choice. You can also follow Jim on Twitter at Gold Medal Mind. Go out and be a champion today, and we'll see you back here next week.